Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 14, Breast Cancer Awareness from a Distance. In today's episode, I have with me a very special friend of mine, Kelly Knight. She and I have been friends for a very long time, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about how breast cancer is viewed from a distance. So when friends aren't necessarily physically near us, also how cancer is viewed when it's more removed from your everyday language. So the general or average risk individuals, and then also how it's viewed from a different culture. Kelly and I met when we were both middle school teachers in Florida. It was my very, very first year teaching when I met Kelly, and we clicked and became best friends right away. We were running buddies and even did two marathons. I blame her for that. Anyway, we did two marathons together, and when you run that far with somebody, they become your confidant. And Kelly and I undoubtedly had one another's backs. In those ridiculously long runs, we shared secrets, we asked for advice, and we always helped and supported one another free of judgment. Our running adventures were kind of like our own little therapy sessions. It was a safe place where we could vent and sort through stuff And we knew that whatever we had to say during that time, that it just, it wouldn't go any further. They were great runs with great friends. But then I moved away, which was a very sad day in friendship land. But the thing about true friends, y'all, is that you never really lose them. Kelly and I, we have known each other now for 16 years. And even though we live miles and miles away, and even though we don't talk every day, and even though she's not even on Facebook, we have to work on that. But even though our opportunities for talking with one another are not what they once were, there is still great safety in our conversations. And Kelly joins us here today to talk about how this breast cancer, how it's viewed from that distance. And like I said, including how it affects a friend and how a friend can support us when they're not physically near us and when we don't have that opportunity to just talk every single day as well. How can we still know that there is support there? Because it's possible. I I knew I had it with her. And then also, how is breast cancer viewed from the general public? And then how breast cancer is viewed from this different uh, different cultural aspect? Because Kelly has a really awesome story. And she, okay, she has the best stories. Kelly was born in Barbados and raised in Trinidad. And she moved to the United States when she was a young girl. 
She's from a very conservative Catholic family, and we're going to hear what she has to say about how breast cancer is viewed through this lens. When we had our episode number two and episode three, we talked about how breast cancer was viewed from the family and friend perspective, and this is just going to give a new spin on it with a glance at understanding women's health and how it's viewed from another upbringing. So thank you so much for joining us here today, Kelly. We are very happy to have you. I'm, I'm so glad to be here too, and I'm looking forward to this. Well, you are one of my all-time best friends, and I know that before we started the recording here, we were talking earlier about how we are very similar in some ways, although we have some differences too. Like our similarities, we both tend to be, you know, pretty emotional. We're the peacemakers. We're the caretakers. We, we're damn delights. We are just pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome people. For sure. <laughs> but here's where our differences lie. Okay. Me, I am very <laughs> uptight. <laughs> Type A, surprise, crazy organized. I'm laughing hysterically because you are giving me a hard time about whether or not my food was labeled in my freezer. (laughs) It's not. But anyway, I am just like super, as one of my friends put it before, intense. You, on the other hand, you are very carefree and go with the flow and laid back. And this is, I don't know if I shared this example with you. But I crack up every time I think about it. This is, for those that don't know you or me, this is a good way to kind of get an idea of our personalities here. When I was in school, I turned in a school project so early that the teacher gave me a zero on it because they thought it was the example from the year before. (laughs) Whereas Kelly goes in to, I guess it was your graduate course oh, with, with Sherry. Yes. And you're like, I didn't have time to write this paper. And, and, and everybody's like freaking out. Like, what did you, you didn't do it? You're like, I didn't have time. And then the professor comes in and goes, I don't feel like grading them. So you all get A's. So I get a zero on something that I turned in super early. And you get an A for showing up. This I, is- I have pretty good luck with stuff like that, I have to say. <laughs> yes. So we are alike in our in kind of our emotional sense, but that's like one of our big differences is that you're Agreed. you're more chill and I'm more uptight. Anyway, so it, I think that that complements each other too because I can say things on things that are important. No, Kelly, that's not safe. You cannot do this. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like we talked before, you cannot pick up hitchhikers. Whereas on things that don't matter, you help me let things let things go. So all that kind of background being said. How is it that my cancer diagnosis changed, if at all, your perspective on breast cancer? Did you think, oh man, I should study for this test and start? Here's what I remember. When you first told me about having cancer, and even back up before then, it was more of a conversation of, I have the BRCA gene and I have to get something tested. And then it was almost just routine, no big deal. Shortly after that, it was another call of, well, they're not sure about something, we're getting more testing done. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was, oh my gosh, I have cancer. But I feel- It was probably the BRCA gene- the MRI, which was supposed to be routine, and then the ultrasound, and then the call. And the whole time, I just kept thinking what you were saying. Of course, this 
is just going to be, you know, I mean, I have gone for a mammogram many times where something has come up and then you get the ultrasound and it's nothing. So I'm just like, yeah, and I didn't know that much about the BRCA gene because I don't have it in my family. So it was like, okay, whatever. I'm sure she's right. And then all of a sudden when it hits you, like, what? And I have a cousin who's a gynecologist who was with me at the time. Who's, oh, she was with you? Yes, at the time when I was at the beach. And you were calling and she's, you know, translating everything to me going, oh, this is serious. Oh, that's I didn't when that she was there then. Yeah. yeah, that's when I am like, oh my gosh, this, this, could, this is the real thing. This isn't just a, I'm sure it'll be fine, it'll be fine. This could, this might not be fine. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes I think about, I think because of you, I get a little more nervous, you know, like yeah. when I go for a mammogram and something ha- comes back abnormal yeah. before I was very much like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where now I'm like, oh no, no, I need to go back right now. Right. Okay. Well, the bronca, the bronca genes, yes, definitely. It's, you know, you got to take that seriously because when you have that gene, you're more at risk for getting cancer. My risk was up to 84% chance of getting breast cancer in my lifetime. But that gene mutation in and of itself is very rare. Like it's only 5%, I think, of the population. But just because not everybody that gets cancer has that mutation. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But I feel like through you being so young is when you actually are, you, because we're, I think we all go through that. This can't happen to me. Yeah. Oh, I was there when it was happening to me. I still yes. thought this can't be happening to me. <laughs> right. You know, and so we do that too. You know, it can't right. be me. No, I'm sure she's going to be fine. And then you're like, oh my gosh, she's not. Yeah. You know, what is she going to do? And then I start like reaching out like, oh, how did, do I have anybody else that I know that went through cancer? And I did have a friend. Right. Yes. Had, I remember that. Who had breast cancer, who was very willing to talk. Like, yes. what do you need to know? And, and we did too. And, and talking to women who had been there and done that was so helpful for me. Was so helpful. They became like my lighthouses in the distance, helping me know that I can do it too. Right. I can make it. I was 36 when I was diagnosed and I mean, as I said in the intro, you and I, we've been friends. We've been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when we were when we were living in Florida, we had this group and we would go out to eat all the time. Like once a week, we'd go out to sushi. And like our group, I was like the runt. Like I was the baby of us all. And I took a lot of delight at rubbing that. <laughs> no worries, folks. Paybacks happen because that's happening to me right now. One of my one of my good friends here, she's shoot, she's probably in middle school when I was starting to teach for the first oh. time. Like, you know, uh-huh. so paybacks happen. All in good fun. But knowing that I was the baby of us all and then to hear that the baby basically got cancer. What went through your mind when I told you that? I would say definitely shock, you know, because you are a healthy person. You're the person that eats well, you know, very well <laughs> planned and laid out and she knows what she's doing. And so for someone who's so organized and eats well and runs and so healthy, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, she's younger, she's in better shape, she's everything. What, how did we luck out and what, what how did this happen to her? So Shock. yeah, I think really that's what it is. You were actually getting ready, I don't know if you remember this part, but you were getting ready to come visit me that summer. Yep. We had a trip planned and you and the kids were going to come up and we were going to hang out and have fun. And then I had to call you and say, Hey, I'm having surgery and a big surgery. I was that's when I was going to have my mastectomy and so I had to, we had to cancel our trip, mm-hmm. which was which was sad. But like I said before, you know you have a good friend when 
the distance doesn't get in the way, you still have that connection. Right. So going along, you know, the whole breast cancer from a distance thing and the angle about how friends can help, even though that they're not actually physically there, because I did a previous episode where we talked about how friends and family can help. And we did a lot of tips on things that you can do like when you're there. And we've also talked about how, and this is, this is kind of a common thing that we hear amongst people that have gone through cancer is, well, I found out who my friends were because a lot of times people don't know what to do or what to say, so they disappear. And what I've heard from several women is they feel like they've lost their friends because they don't know what to do. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not trying to be mean, they just don't know what to do. I wanted to make sure that I pointed out in this episode that it doesn't have to be some big, grand something that people do. It's just about being emotionally present. And I think, and we talked about this in the beginning, like kind of our our whole friendship and our relationship is that we had some of these amazing conversations. We got one another because we had all those similarities Mm -hmm. and because we had that, you know, that runner's privilege kind of conversations that we had all these times. It was just this very safe person to talk to. I don't know if you've read Brene Brown, but she talks about how vulnerability creates connection. And we had that. We could be completely whoever we were whenever we talked with one another. And that carried over to when I moved away. Right. And when we didn't get to talk all the time, it didn't mean that that vulnerability and that connection was no longer possible. We still, we still have that. Yeah, for right? sure. You've always had my back. And I know that I've, I've been there for you as well. And when this happened, when cancer happened, even though you weren't, physically here you you still called and we texted and we laughed at times and we cried at other times and it was all just a very safe conversation and that's what people need I think a lot of it is that I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do but I'm okay saying that you know saying like oh my god what is happening and for you to know that you can tell me and for me to be able to say to you, Joyce, what does that look like? What is that? What's going right. to happen? Dumb it down for me because I don't know. Yeah. I think that that makes you feel more comfortable and me because I don't know what it's like. Yeah. And just knowing that that conversation, it's it's kind of like this open slate. Like we can say anything. And because of the way that our friendship developed, like you can ask me very blunt questions and I can answer them. Mm -hmm. And so having that, for lack of a better word, that vulnerability on both sides, being able to say, hey, I don't know what's going on. Tell me about it. I want to hear. And sitting with me in that yuck and hearing what I had to say and then laughing with me at other times and me falling apart and then punching jokes on the flip side all made everything safe. I think that's what people need a lot more of. You know, it's just having people that they can be completely 100% real with, and it's okay. Yeah, and, I'm sh- and that's probably hard to come by a little bit just because I feel like you are one of the few people that knew everything about me. You know what I mean? Not yeah. everybody knows everything about me. Yeah. And just like I knew so much about you, so it wasn't odd for you to share all of this with me because I knew everything about you. Right. Right? And so you knew probably how I was going to react before I re- even reacted because... <laughs> We have seen each other. Best and our worst. Right? So take the good with the bad. Yeah. 
So for anybody out there that's listening, I just want to make sure that they know that to have that support, it doesn't it doesn't have to take a specific form. It doesn't have to be somebody that is physically present to still be present. That support can come in so many different shades. And the important point is having somebody that you can connect with and that you feel safe talking to. Okay, I want to switch topics just a smidge here. Let's hear a little bit about more about your background so people can understand you better. So you were born in Barbados. Yeah, I was born born in Barbados, but my entire family is from Trinidad. At seven, we moved to England, and then at 10, we moved back to the States. But my within my family, all of my cousins' stuff were still in Trinidad. So while I was living in the States, every summer, I would go back to Trinidad for the summer. And then until I was probably about 15 or 16. Yeah. And then I was over here. I'm curious how you're where you've grown up and everything, how that might have had an effect on your view of women's health. I guess just start by telling us, what was it like growing up and and spending all of your summers there in Trinidad? So in Trinidad, it's very, you know, I guess conservative in a way. So the way I grew up, my mother cooked my father meals, um, very, my dad, you know, was above and beyond because he would like wash the dishes and stuff. And, you know, some men didn't even do that. And very Catholic. You don't have sex till you get married. And you just, your body is very private. Everything that happens to you, you kind of keep to yourself. And that's that's definitely how we were raised. Did your mom ever talk to you about self-exams? Like, oh, no, no, no. And, in fact, my cousin, who actually now is a gynecologist... She, she's a year younger than me. And even in high school, she's the one that had to convince her mother and my mother that we should go to the gynecologist for the first time. My mother was very much like, no, I didn't go until I was pregnant. Like, you don't need to go. And I don't even know why they were so resistant. It's not like the gynecologist is going to do anything, but they were very much like, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Very private. Mm -hmm. Very. Mm -hmm. So to talk about a lot of these women issues, it was... So you didn't necessarily grow up with that being a a topic that was covered in the home? No, No, definitely not. So your cousin, Trudy, she's Uh the one that convinced you to go for the first time and Yes, she's, she's the one that convinced. So pretty much when you, she was living in the States at the same time, you know, it's just like your families do a lot of stuff together. You know, if one kid's going to do it, then another kid will do it. And so she was the one that convinced her mother and my mother, like, we need to go. Once you're 18, you should be going to the gynecologist. We shouldn't have to wait. And then because she nagged so much, they were like, okay. And then we ended up going. Yeah. But if it wasn't for that, I don't know when I would have gone. Yeah. Because it just didn't come up. Like, you don't do that. You don't, you know, you're not having sex, so you don't need to... You don't need to go. You don't need to go because nothing's going to happen and very an avoidance too. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Avoidance. Yeah. Like if, you know, we don't need to talk about it because it's not happening or. I see. You know, we don't need to go to gynecologists because. And even, you know, some of this stuff, it doesn't even matter about the whole sex thing. It's cancer or it's something that has nothing to do with it. But it was just very much like, nope. Right. Right. So then your mom growing up. From has she ever told you any stories about women's health from Trinidad? No, she. I mean, it's really something that's just not talked about. Yeah, you know. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, she pretty much had said to me, 
one of our convert one of our few conversations were and my mom's like a wonderful person love her to death I love your mom I love your mom but um was just very much hey if you get pregnant you're gonna have the baby but just letting you know you know very like that was it yeah that was basically the extent of your yes sex ed conversation there well then the other sex ed conversation I had when I was in college was pretty much about a boy who was swimming in the pool with his girlfriend and this he, is okay this is the conversation that your mother yes, gave to you is giving to okay, me yes this i remember is, hearing this this is my this is what <laughs> sex is about and i had it like i said when i was in college and it was you know this girl and this boyfriend this was an anti-sex talk right girl, this is your mom t- t- telling you and explaining to you why you should not you should wait sex. till you yeah. get married yeah boy girl swimming in a pool he ejaculated and the sperm crawled up and she got pregnant and so that was our that was my like you have to be really careful you know to not do that so that was my that was our that was yeah it's what did your cousin say when you relay that oh it was funny my brother was actually in the other room and he was overhearing and when I walked in he was on the floor laughing you know I was like oh my gosh yeah so you know but they just really yeah it's really private and they don't talk about it and which, you know, it's difficult for a kid when you feel like, who are you going to, you know, the first time you get your period or what happens then? You know what I mean? Right. I was in Trinidad the first time I got my period. So I remember this story. So, so first of all, you're in Trinidad and, and tell us all about what's going, what's going on in, in Trinidad at this time. So there was, so Trinidad is, there's a little island off Trinidad called Tobago and it's the same country. And... So I was with a bunch of my cousins and one aunt and uncle and staying in Trinidad. And all the kids were in one room and it was hotel we were in a hotel and they were right the rooms were right next to each other, but there was there was not an adjoining door. And most of the kids were in one room and then my aunt and uncle and the little kids were in the other room. And at the time I had got my period for the first time. So that's very traumatic experience. Right. Especially if, if it's kind of like one of those very private things too. Right. And it's a giggles, right? Which I'm sure it's giggles yeah. for everyone when it first yeah. happens. Oh my gosh, she has it. And um, at the time, we turn on the TV and the Prime Minister of Trinidad is sitting on the TV with all these guns pointing to his head. And we're like, huh. So we were, this Trinidad is being taken over. There was a coup. And there was a coup. And at the time, what happens is that he says, you know, we're under a state of emergency, which means you are not allowed to leave the house. So we were allowed to leave. And thank God we were in Tobago because we were in a hotel. So we could, like, go to the pool and that kind of stuff. But you couldn't leave the property between 12 and 5. So they closed all the airports. They closed the boat to go back and forth because it would take too long anyway. But if you think about it, you know, stores were closed. 12 o'clock is when people could go on the streets. So the stores couldn't open till 1, and then they had to close at 4 to get people back. So you're talking about all these people now need goods. And then when you would go to the supermarket, they you basically write out a long list of all the things that you wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, this many eggs, this many that. And then you would give it to the people, and they would say, well, we don't have enough, so we have to ration. Right. You know what I mean? So you were getting very limited supplies of everything. <laughs> Right. Including, you know, feminine hygiene. So it was kind of a little tough. So right there. the time that you started your period for the first time was in the middle of a coup when you couldn't get supplies. <laughs> I, know. 
I know. Crazy. I guess crazy. And you couldn't talk to your parents, right? Right. They weren't even there. Oh, that's right, because you were with your aunt. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So crazy. So, but so, but your cousin was there with you. Mm-hmm. And so she helped you kind of figure out what you needed to do. To... Right. A little bit of girl power. A lot yeah. of toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for great cousins, right? I know, right? So now have, okay, so since growing up and your cousin convincing you and your family that you needed to go to get your health checked out, even before you were pregnant, that it was a women's health issue. So you kind of move move past that, and and so you know that you know that you have to go. And you said before that you've you've had mammograms done before mm-hmm. already. And how old are you again? Forty five. You're forty five. Tell us about the mammogram experience in and of itself. So, I mean, it's not a pleasant experience, you know, which most people at this point. No, you're getting squeezed. and Yeah. So I live in Tampa, and there's like two different medical systems going on, and I went to one, and very often, this particular one I went to, I got a normal mammogram, and they find something irregular, right? And so they say, you have to come back and do an ultrasound, but they didn't do it at that location. Mm. So I had to like go to another location, and I feel even ridiculous complaining about this after all the stuff you've been through, but... No, but this is, I think this is important though because like, you know, screening is important. And I spoke with somebody the other day and they were like, you know, the reason why early detection is so important is because they, they made the analogy about how breast cancer is kind of like a wildfire, right? And if you can get it when, right when it starts and in just this one spot and you can squish it and be done with it, then chances are really good that you're done with the fire. But if you didn't and a spark goes over here mm-hmm. or it gets out of control, then there's no taming that fire. So early detection, which is the mammogram, which is you see something, you need to go have mm-hmm. an ultrasound done. That is where it, that's where the power is. That's mm-hmm. where people really need to pay attention and go, you know, this this is important. Like I need to get my mammogram and I need to do whatever they say to do afterwards. Just to be proactive, to be my own number one advocate, you mm-hmm. know, like that's that's where the power is, is is doing the screening to try to make sure that if there's a fire, you catch it in the beginning. Right. So I, so I went and then I had to go again. And then this is when I was going to lose my mind. I went in to the second place to get the ultrasound and I waited there for an hour, probably like an hour and a half. And the lady calls me back and she says, listen, the doctor hasn't written your prescription correctly. So I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I have someone at home watching the kids and I need to hurry up because they have to get to work. So I basically asked the lady, what can I do to pick up this pace? Because she said I called the doctor and the doctor, you know, they said, can I just redo it? And the doctor said, no, I have to write the prescription again. So anyway, so then I call up the doctor, have to harass them. So this appointment that was supposed to be like a recheck in my mind was going to take an hour, end up taking two and a half hours because of like technicalities with what the doctor wrote and what and what they were supposed to write or I don't even know yeah. exactly how it all works. But oddly enough, when I was talking to Trudy about this, because I was like, rare. Um, she was kind of like, that happens all the time. And I still can't understand why that happens all the time. But she was just like, yeah, sometimes I have to, you know, stand in there for two, three hours trying when she, when she's personally getting a mammogram. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. So I think 
you know, sometimes some of those can be frustrating for someone who's going in. They're taking time off of work or yeah. whatever, and they're like, "Let's. why is this not a little bit more efficient? And that was the first time that I'd ever had such a big, big weight that I, that I remember. Yeah. But I was like, gosh, you know, you'd think that this would just be – this is what she needs. Let's just do it. Like, yeah. why am I having to go through this? And I remember you telling me that you had to go through a lot of headaches with insurance. Oh, insurance was a nightmare for me. I had to, I had to fight the insurance to get myself a mammogram because I was 36. So, so I found out that I had the BRCA2 mutation when I was 35. We, I did genetic testing, found out I had that. I actually didn't have any family history. I just am biology nerd and thought that I had the colon cancer gene, didn't have that, and surprise, surprise, had BRCA2, and BRCA2 mutation. But that basically called for increased surveillance. And so when I found that I had that at 35, then they're like, you need to do mammograms and MRIs alternating every six months. So I had my first mammogram, like that November, and I guess I was, I don't know, 35, 36, whatever. I know I was 35 when I had the mammogram, I guess. And... I don't remember it hurting. I know you, people always talk about them squeezing them and they and mm-hmm. it hurts really bad. I just remember like standing there and they're like, you have to be in this position. I felt like I was doing this really terrible yoga thing. Like I would just stand like this and it, that was what was awkward. However, they had me standing or whatever. And, but the actual pressing didn't hurt me. I guess I just didn't have much. I don't know. But it's hard for me to say, really, because that's such a distant memory, and it only happened to me one time. Mm -hmm. Because after that one mammogram, I had the MRI six months later, Mm -hmm. and that's when they found the masses. And then we were done with mammograms because we were done with boobs. We moved on from there. Anyhow, I want to kind of switch topics just a smidge here. How would you say that the average woman can be proactive with their health? What kinds of things can they do to be their own advocate? I definitely think going for a mammogram, and then when they do see something, making that second appointment. Yeah. Going for the ultrasound. Even if it's a pain in the knuckles. Mm-hmm. It, because it because like the whole wildfire analogy, like it is in your best interest. Right. And nobody's meaning, you know, when you're in it and you're getting frustrated – you're just getting frustrated, but you can step back. Like, I can step back now and say, the doctor isn't meaning to write the wrong thing. Yeah. They're not meaning to hold me up. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think everyone just gets so busy in their lives yeah. that you're, you know, you're just trying to go about everything's a rush. And it isn't until later on that you're like, okay, really? Yeah. I had to wait an extra hour. You know, yeah. you can step back and go, okay, I was being a little ridiculous. And at the time, you're, you're annoyed. But going and doing those things... And doing your self-checks and going to Even if it's not pleasant. Like, even if going to these appointments isn't pleasant, we don't want to do it. It's a headache, right? you know? But definitely in our best interest, worth doing. And you had said the self-exams. So knowing your own body. Right. And and not feeling awkward about it. Right. You know, that is just what you have to do. And then going to the gynecologist regularly, too. Right. Right, yeah, making that your annual appointment and just you set it and you go and you follow through and you make yourself matter and just make sure that you get your screening done so that you you can be safe and hopefully nothing ever comes up, but if it does, then you will have caught it early. Right. 
So your cousin is a, is a gynecologist, and I love her. She's great. Okay, so I didn't know that when I had called you that she was there and kind of translating things for you. I knew what the BRCA mutation meant, but when I was telling you this, you said that you talked to her and that she had mentioned that I should talk to my provider and consider the whole hysterectomy aspect too because those with the mutation are more at risk for... Um, ovarian cancer, which was definitely on the table for me. Like that conversation was already going on with pick a doctor, all my doctors. Right. Like, and it was, it was, it was a topic. But what went through your mind as you started piecing that all together? Like, oh my gosh, she just had cancer. And now you're saying that she might need this too. What went through your mind? So Trudy's very, I don't want to say women's lib, but very, you know, the minute I told her that you had BRCA, she was like, get them removed. Like, right. very, that's what you do. Yeah. You know, get that, get a hysterectomy, take your drugs that you need, done, like, or, right. or you couldn't. I don't think she said you can't take drugs because it would Well, it depends grow. on what drugs, it depends on what drugs you're okay. talking about. I can't take, I can't take the, what do you call it, the... Estrogen? Yeah, I can't take that because of the kind of cancer that I had. But the drugs that I am taking is part of my treatment that happens afterwards. It's the hormone blocker. It's basically the one that's taking all of the estrogen and progesterone and saying, no food for you, cancer. You can't have any more. So this time, so I see my cousin every time at the beach for the 4th of July. And this girl that we see every year is down there as well. And she comes out of the water with a shaved head. And so right away, we're all like, she has cancer. And, of course, she did. She had lung cancer, but in her story, she ends up telling us that her husband also is leaving her. And so our hearts are breaking. And Trudy's response was to her was just saying how common that is. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. Trudy was like, that's like 30 or 40% of the time that happens. And here I, I mean, I felt so horrible for this lady. And then you hear that, and I'm just like, what? Oh, my goodness. So, right. I mean. I'll tell you what. I looked out over there. Like, my husband, he stepped it up. He was, I mean, we have our differences, and we argue. I mean, what marriage doesn't? But sure. he, he was really amazing. Really amazing. He, I mean, the whole in sickness and in health till death do you part, he took that. He I was just surprised. Seriously. I was surprised at how common yeah. She made it sound, you know, sure, you're going to meet people and you're like, oh, but yeah, so that's pretty scary. Yeah, so I guess kind of recognizing that you're not alone, right? And if it, if it, if it happens, I mean, it's, that is definitely unfortunate, but it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's not you. And I know I did a, a walkout in um, San Diego and I interviewed a handful of survivors out there. And one of the survivors that I interviewed when I, I put them up actually on my website and shared them, my, my husband, Brian, he saw, he saw them and he liked this one particular interview because she was, she had said, if a man doesn't love you for you, mm-hmm. then he is nothing. And Brian couldn't agree more with that. He told me throughout the whole time, like I fell in love with you, with all of you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we didn't have our moments, right? But and then he said to me, he said, you know, because I had talked to him about that, about how some men will leave their wives when the going gets really tough, right? And he said, that says more about them, those Very men, true. than it does those women. Mm-hmm. So 
I mean, I can't imagine. I don't necessarily have the fix-it answer or words to help make that any better other than just saying to anybody out there listening that it is not you. It is not you. You're not alone. And, you know, you just focus on your own health because it's not, it's, it's more their problem. And I know when I was talking to her, I could tell she really appreciated her friends. Yeah. Her friends really had come, you know, and her parents. Yeah. Very supportive and helping out. So, yeah. She does have a good support system. Just right. Not from him. Yeah. So we talked earlier about how you and I, we just have this friendship where we can say anything. Like, there's nothing that's off limits or off the table. And so I wanted to just take this last moment or two to have a little bit of girl talk for those that haven't been there and gone through this journey, but that still want to know something, but maybe they're a little too concerned whether or not they should ask this question because they don't want to step on toes, but they're really curious and they want to know. And so open book, anything that you think people may be curious about. My question would definitely be about boobs. What do they look like? The whole, I remember you telling me something about like a tattooed nipple or no nipple. Right. Or is okay, it just yeah. like a blob? Like yeah. I can't, I can't so, imagine okay. what it looks like. There's different kinds of reconstruction that you can have done. I had expanders to implants. So mine have, like you have a horizontal scar that goes across the curvature of your breast. It goes right straight across the middle. And some people, they'll do like nipple sparing. And so they will be able to keep their nipples that just kind of get sewed on on top. So theirs are going to look even more different than mine, right? I was not able to keep my nipples because the cancer was too close. And to be honest, I don't know that I personally would want to anyway, because with the mutation that I have, I didn't want to risk having any tissue left over that could form again, right? Exactly. Like, nope, I'm done. Get it out. Like, I got cancer. Get, I got the gene. Take it, take it, take it, take it away. So you got no nipples. So I did not do nipple sparing. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't even a candidate for that because of, because of my cancer. Some people are, I was not. So then the next option is nipple tattoos, right? I've heard that they look really good. They're like 3D looking um, nipple tattoos. I chose not to do that. I mean, if I decide later on, maybe. But to be honest, I don't care. So they're just tattooed like pink color? Yeah, I guess. I haven't actually seen them. I would imagine that they look just like Like a nipple. nipple. And what I'm told is that that standing from there, it's got this 3D effect to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it looks like a nipple from afar. But when you like, And who's turn doing sideways, this? Like a tattoo artist? You're going in there? Oh, like who's... Yes, they, they are, um, they're certified. And actually, for those that are interested, they're on my website, togetherweweather.org. There is on the resource page, I spoke with one, uh, with a tattoo artist, and she was telling me all about it, where she goes and what she does and everything. And so there's information and a link to her information on our website so okay they're like legit like okay so some people are get have it have their nipples some people have a nipple tattooed and And some people just know some people do nothing and then they also have an information of this is also on the website too some people do a nipple prosthesis which is basically like uh it just sticks it sticks on okay and you take it on and off um (laughs) 
That's a good question. I don't, I don't, I, I think that it lasts for a little while. I don't know. I don't really know the details on that, but the information, the link is on the website. So if you wanted more information, you could go to their okay. website and look, but it's, um, they come in different colors and different sizes and different all sorts of stuff. But me personally, I was like, you know what? These are the cards that I've been dealt. They're, mine are gone. Mine are gone. And I'm. Do you have feeling? Do you have feeling like in your. Boots so it all. feels like the whole, you know, dead man's hand thing. Like if you put, if we were to put our hands to your hand in my hand and like we, you know, rub, right, rub right. the fingers. So it, like I can, I can feel that I'm feeling my breasts, but I can't feel the sensation from the breast side. Oh, okay. So it kind of feels numb. Although I will say that it's getting better now. Like I can feel, I think more than I used to. And I don't really know if it's phantom feeling or whatever is going on in my head right right right. but they or or that I'm just becoming gets my new normal right you know what I mean right you're getting used to it so but they're mine are like Barbie doll smooth I mean I have the horizontal scar Uh that goes across but if I get cold nobody knows nobody knows huh I wear a bathing suit nothing sags I mean I can wear the a two-piece and nobody would be able to know they wouldn't be any wiser. They would. The only way that you would be able to know is if you saw me without my shirt on. Right? Okay, you mentioned before glow in the dark. Yes, they glow in the dark. I want to know what, what's glowing, like your okay. entire boob. Yes, the whole boob. Okay, and this isn't for everybody with reconstruction. This is just if you've had the implants. Okay, because some people will do reconstruction where they'll. But when normal people get implants, is that glowing in the dark? Like I've never heard of this thing until you said it. Okay, so you mean like if they have augmentation. So like if they have like a boob job. Right. And they have that I'm not so sure about because I didn't walk that route. Like I don't. Okay. I mean, give them a flashlight, I guess, and have them try it out. But I can say <laughs> from my side with the, um, the mastectomy and everything was gone, the whole thing is an implant. So if you put a flashlight under it, yeah, it, it, it glows. Like you know how like if you put a flashlight It's kind in of a fun party trick. It is a very great, you know what? And it's funny because it was like this really silly, silly, silly little thing that gave me motivation to make it to the end because I thought it was so absurd. Like, who has glow in the dark boobs? That's just crazy. But I was like, that can't be true. I want to try. I want to prove that. I want to do my very own Mythbusters <laughs> test. And the only way to do that would be if I made it to the other side. And so if I made it through all of this mess and I got to the other side and I had the reconstruction done and I had the switch out from expanders to implants and I tried it and it worked. How freaking awesome. Bonus glow in the dark boobs. And if it didn't, then who cares? I'd be done. Right. Right. Crazy. Yes. Pretty awesome trick though. Very, very nice. Um, no, I mean, I'm sitting here looking across from you going, I would, you know, I wouldn't know, but they, yeah. I wouldn't know you don't have a bra on because they're in the right place. They're, I'm, they're I'm like, Yes, I've gotten um, very excited about never wearing a bra. Now, I do wear like sports bra if I'm going running or something, but other than that, nope. I'm really excited to have you here and talking to us a little bit about kind of a bunch of different things, but the general theme being, you know, from a distance friends that aren't necessarily physically here, but they're still emotionally present. And then also getting some insight into what it was like for you learning about women's health growing up and how, you know, there are these different perspectives that people are growing up with. And then also, you know, talking about questions that people just 
can't ask or don't feel like they should ask, but they really want to. So we have really enjoyed having you with us today. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us. Thank you. I loved being here. And thank you, too, for all of y'all at home listening. Please remember that no matter your diagnosis, no matter your heritage or your background, No matter that distance that may get wedged between you and your support network, be it a physical distance or the ability to broach the subject, no matter the cancer cards that you've been dealt or the order in which they've been dealt, please remember that you are not alone and together we will weather this storm. I look forward to speaking with you again next time. Until then, please remember just that that together we will weather this storm. You are never alone.